Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warning, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, you have cached GPs. I have now cached the equivalent of, I guess, what GPs are in the New World Order, the SCGCon this weekend. So does this mean we can officially both say that we are magic pros? Can I just introduce us that way in the TCG player ads now? Finally, yeah. No more of this (laughs) pros are writing articles, us schlubs are writing articles. Now we got it. Yeah, Ben, congratulations on placing 21st at SCGCon Indy this weekend. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a blast of a weekend. We are recording Sunday night, so I'm still fresh from the glow of the weekend. Yeah, it was a dream come true to catch a magic event, and I hope hope there are more in-person tournaments in the future. Yeah, I'm so uh, so glad you had the opportunity to go. I know you were like talking last week, you're like, yeah, I just found out this was happening, hoping to get to go. And now look at you. Got those dollar dollar bills in your pocket. Dollar dollar bills. Day two competitor. I mean, you know me. Ever since GP New Jersey, I am a sucker for a called draft. I'm a sucker for a called draft. Like when the, the person says draft, like it's so good. Well, I really want to hear all about it. I know you've got a little tourney report for us here and we've got our first thoughts and impressions. I know you've played it all weekend and we got early access to Phyrexia All Will Be One on Thursday, thanks to the the streamer early access event courtesy of Wizards of the Coast. So we have actually quite a bit of thoughts, feelings, hopes, and I will say concerns about this new format um, that we're going to get into. But uh, let's take care of some housekeeping stuff and dive into your tournament report. First things first, is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Of course, the show will always be free, but we have a really wonderful community of folks over at the Discord, which is what everybody who gives back to the Patreon gets access to. The Discord is 24-7 limited tech support. And you better believe that on Tuesday, when drafts go live on Magic Arena, the Discord is going to explode with information and questions and pings. We have this sweet feature in our Discord where if something has been active if someone has typed something in a channel uh within five minutes you'll see a little fire icon to let you know like ooh, someone's someone's like presently chatting in this channel there's gonna be a lot of fire icons in the discord (laughs) on tuesday and and days afterwards so if you want to get in on that excellent community of folks if you want to get in on some higher tier reward stuff check out the patreon page if that's for you and you want to give back to the show and of course we want to welcome our new patrons the first week that they join this week we're welcoming rob jorge elijah nathan Joris, Mark, Clark, Neil, John, Sam, Nicholas, Nico, and Jonathan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Shout out to all those patrons. There were patrons that came up to me this weekend at SCG Indie. There were people that came up and said they love the podcast. Honestly, that was the best part of the whole weekend. I mean, day twoing was pretty sweet. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. <laughs> but I, when I was one, two, like, so many people had already come up to me at that point. I was thinking, you know what? Even if I scrub out of this tournament or whatever, like this is cool. Like that we've created a community of people that like this thing that we make. Yeah. So awesome. Show is also brought to you by TCG player, tcgplayer.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. We want to shout out the TCG player subscription that you can get for $6.99 a month. They give you free shipping and tracking on all of your orders, as well as extra store credit back on purchases. And in addition to that, you get access to all of the CFB pro articles that me, you, Alex, and all of the other pros over at TCG Player <laughs> are writing each and every week. So uh, that's on the lookout there, as well as Phyrexia All Be One sealed product and singles. This is hitting the shelves soon, so make sure you place all your orders for any of that product that you want over at TCGPlayer.com. And when you do, 
please be sure to use our affiliate link. You can get there by going to lordsoflimited.com slash TCG player, and that will redirect you to our affiliate link. Or you can go to lordsoflimited.com, click on the support tab there, and there's another direct link to our TCG player affiliate link. While you're at lordsoflimited.com, you should check out our merch store, as well as our tier list that will be updated probably by the time you're listening to this episode. Yeah, you heard that, folks. That's a that's a probably guarantee right there. Probably guaranteed. You love to hear it. All right, I want to I want to hear all about the weekend, buddy. What what happened? Yeah. So first of all, I just want to shout out seriously everyone that came up and said hello and that they enjoyed the podcast. That was by far one of the coolest things that happened that weekend. I think it was second to. <laughs> finishing in cash but it was really sweet for sure and i also want to shout out my brothers sam and adam for entering the event with me on saturday um i actually stayed with my younger brother sam and his wife lauren they hosted me which was awesome i hadn't been to their house yet so day one definitely would not have been as sweet without the two of them there competing with me like just having two people that you're familiar with and comfortable with to go to up after the rounds and commiserate with or whatever it would have been much lonelier without the two of them there so thanks to both of them for playing sam my younger brother does not like magic that much and usually has really? to be has to <laughs> usually has to be cajoled into playing. So like I was like, oh, man, is he really going to play the main event? He's not going to enjoy this. And he listened to the podcast Crash Course. And if nothing else, this is a testament to the Crash Course. He has not played magic regularly at all in the last 10 to 15 years. Finished 3-3 on day one. Super Attaboy. solid record. I know. Yeah. So I was feeling good about the old Lord's Limited content. I was giving him the lowdown on the way over and all that. And shout out to all of my, I feel like I'm giving an Academy Award speech here. Shout you out to really all my <laughs> interactions with my opponents. They're 99% like super positive. I had a couple ones that weren't great throughout the weekend, but I would say the vast majority of everyone was super welcoming, including all of the SCG event planners and the judging staff, that really stood out to me as just top notch. The the judging was so friendly and people are always there willing to help. It was great. So with that out of the way, I just want to throw this out there to you. And I know you will know this about me knowing me, but paper magic is so hard. It's yeah. so messy. Mm -hmm. There's just so much to do and you don't do it regularly. You've got to register your deck and check all the cards and make sure you did that right and make sure you de-sideboard every round and you're worried about getting penalties constantly and there's mm -hmm. dice everywhere. I drafted two oil decks on day two today and there are oh, so no. many triggers to remember. I Just dice everywhere and just shuffling like, you know... Everyone that shuffles like does the cool thing where they pile shuffle, but they like look away while they're pile shuffling. Wait, not pile shuffling, right? Riffle shuffling. Riffle shuffling. Yes, thank you. So they're riffle shuffling, but they're looking away while they're riffle shuffling, you know, so you're sure they're not cheating. So I'm trying to be cool and do that too, but I <laughs> never have paper cards. So I'm just failing at it miserably all weekend long. Like just the sheer act of shuffling or opening packs. I swear to God, everyone was better at opening packs than me. So just by the time you do all of that and remember all of your triggers and make sure all of your stuff works the way that it's supposed to work, then you've got brain space left for what's your opponent doing. And mm -hmm. it's just a lot. It's a very mentally taxing thing. Like I would be way better off just streaming with a laptop in front of me i would be significantly less distracted streaming on magic arena than i am playing paper magic when i was getting your updates over the weekend of your record i never got any updates of like savagely misplayed so it sounds like you kept things pretty tight i missed a few triggers nothing was ever super relevant and when i was playing i only played one match not match one game of one match very sloppily 
Um, after I was super far ahead, my opponent was pretty visibly tilted, which was making me uncomfortable. And so mm. I was like trying to get the game over with and playing super sloppy as a result. That one was was no no good. But in general, I do think I played really tight, but it was really taxing for me to play tight. I know that feeling like it's a different kind of energy than I think I'm a pretty darn good magic player and partially because of most of the magic that I play is on stream. And so I'm never like 100% focused on magic. And so when I have played in tournaments, there's nothing like there's no music, there's no chat, there's no like trying to be funny or whatever happening. It's just focusing on the game. But that's a different kind of taxing mental energy than streaming, you know? 100%. Well, and also, this is not even remotely closely related, but in the draft boosters, there are cards in Phyrexian. Like, so before we were Stop. opening all of the packs and stuff, the judge was like, well, if you open a card and it's in Phyrexian and you can't read it, like, you can call a judge to have them read the text to you. But then oh my God. on the day two thing, <laughs> this cracked me up. I don't know why this got me so good. The judges on our day two drafts weren't allowed to come tell us the text of the Phyrexian cards. So Wait, they were what? like they were lecturing us that we had to know what all the Phyrexian cards did before the draft started. And my neighbor sitting next to me just let out a casual, imagine not knowing how to read Phyrexian. Like, <laughs> and it just got me so good. <laughs> were they, they were joking, right? They were totally joking. Oh, okay. They said it, they said it dead serious. And it made me laugh so hard. That's very funny. That's very funny. Okay. So, well, you already sort of spoiled this a little bit, but day one started off kind of rough for you, right? On the ropes almost immediately. Yeah, won my first round and then lost back-to-back -back rounds to two very good red-green beat... No, a red-green beatdown deck and a red-black beatdown deck. But okay. so I uh, was struggling, and, you know, if you get your third loss, you're out. And I managed to rally off a 5-0 uh, to finish 6-2 and two on day one. So my sealed deck was blue-black. Um, with Blue Sun's Twilight and Black Sun's Twilight. So Blue Sun's Twilight is Blue Blue X Sorcery Gain Control of Target Creature with Mana Value X or less. If X is 5 or more, you create a token that's a copy of that creature. Blue Sun's Twilight was shy for me. It didn't appear a whole lot. And then Black Sun's Twilight was very good. Black X Instant. Up to one target creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn. If X is 5 or more, return a creature card with Mana Value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. And then Argentum Masticor, which I was on the fence about how good it was because it's kind of hard to evaluate, was an absolute house. So it's five mana for a five, five first strike protection from multicolored Masticor. So at the beginning of your upkeep, you sacrifice it unless you discard a card. But when you discard a card, you can destroy a non-land permanent and opponent controls with mana value less than or equal to the mana value of the discarded card. That was outstanding for me. The only reason I made day two, Argentum Masticor hard carried me in rounds four through eight. Not every round, but games like whole games like just put the deck on its shoulders and won and then wow. also had unctus grand meditech which is the one blue blue two four with a billion abilities it pumps your artifacts it lets you loot when your blue creatures are tapped you can pay phyrexian mana to turn things into blue artifact creatures it was so much to remember i bet i read that <laughs> card no less than 75 times <laughs> like, like no no less than that every turn it's on the battlefield you're like yes what is this doing <laughs> it was so bad that's so funny well sweet that's so awesome i mean when i saw your deck and when i heard you say you had both blue and black twilights i was like that sounds really good and then you went one two and i was like oh man and then just rattle it off one two three four five so sick yeah my deck was good not great i, I had some certainly suboptimal cards in the deck 
to be able to play blue and black, but that was by far where my power was at rare. So I felt like I, I essentially just had to do it. I also had a red white equipment deck with Koth um, waiting in the wings, but I never actually swapped into it because I just thought the, the blue black power level was higher. Did you ever like, did you have a plan for like, if I face blah and I'm on the play, I might side into it? Or are you just like, nah, there's no way that deck is better than this? I never really faced a matchup where I thought it would be better. I don't know. It was close. I, mostly I was just on the fence about it being so straightforward. Like mm. it was basically play to the board and attack you. And the, the blue black deck had a lot more room to outplay my opponents. And I never felt super outclassed in the late game. I guess that was when I would have sided into the red white deck. I only played a couple rounds of sealed at my pre-release before I felt like, all right, I've 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 left Jen home alone with our four week old son long enough. I need to get back. So Having played eight rounds of sealed and having faced other decks that had similar success, do you have a sense of like what is good in were you seeing the same kinds of things over and over again in terms of colors or color pairs or streamlined or splashing? No, not really. I was very impressed with red green as a whole in sealed and in draft. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of white X toxic decks in the the later rounds, but I was winning those matchups. So yeah, I don't know. There wasn't anything. I don't know that there was a single recipe. There were certainly just a lot of rares floating around. Like uh, games were either dictated, I think, by taking control of the board early or someone slamming a rare that went unanswered. Yeah, I had a really good white black toxic deck in my uh, pre-release sealed. And then in round two, I faced uh, Jamie Topple's husband, John, who had just an incredible red green oil deck like at one point had like five different counters on stuff and i was just like man if you can get the high synergy in sealed it feels heads and shoulders above the rest of the decks oh yeah for sure for sure for sure okay cool so you get six two what happens on day two in the drafts so day two draft one i drafted a very sick red green oil beatdown deck it was quite good that was what i kind of mentally wanted to do going into the draft and it just worked out that i got to do that also so i had a really tough choice pack one pick one between contagious vorak and viral spawning contagious vorak's top green common two and a green for three three etbs look at the top four cards of your library you can reveal a land card from among them and put it into your hand put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order if you didn't put a card into your hand this way you can proliferate and then viral spawning is 2g for a sorcery make a 3-3 beast creature token with toxic one and if your opponent is corrupted this has flashback for two and a green what would you take there pack one pick one i guess i would take viral spawning myself as a as a pleb taking higher rarity cards my guess is you took the vorak i think i know because you had two of them in your deck I took the Vorak, but I wasn't sure. I was very happy with the decision after pack one, pick one. I just felt like I had so much more flexibility. Like Vorak is a built-in two for one and also kind of slots in the poisonous deck, the toxic deck, proliferating if need be. But it's just going to help you hit land drops too. I do think Vorak's better, but I was stymied there, pack one, pick one. This is sort of a spoiler to one of the larger points about the format, but I think you have to lock into your lane a little earlier or perhaps a lot earlier than other formats. Like you're not really delaying the decision. I mean, I know I'm spoiling our conversation for later, but as you're unpacking this choice, it makes sense because Contagious Vorak is one of the few flex cards. You're like, this is going to be good in any green deck I play. And that's not necessarily the case about viral spawning, right? You're not necessarily in every green deck 
going to corrupt your opponent. And not every green deck that is toxic, not every game, you're going to be able to corrupt your opponent. So I could see it. Right, but Viral Spawning is also a non-creature spell for the red cards that care about non-creature spells being cast. So I think there are flex cards, but they're hard to identify and figuring out where they're best or what they can let you pivot to is tough too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So we'll get into all that in a bit. Um, But yeah, I drafted a very good deck had Urbrask's Forge, which is the the two red artifact rare that poops an X one oh with a number gosh. of oil counters on it into play. Card is illegal. incredible, incredible. I mean, it's not good if you're behind, but you win if you're a parody or ahead. Also had Vindictive Flamestoker, which is the the one mana one two that can let you discard your hand to draw oh, yeah. four. Um, and it had some standout uncommons in Incubation Sack, which we'll get out of the way, I guess, talking about now. But that card is quite good. It's green ETBs with three oil counters. You can pay four mana to tap it, remove an oil counter to make a 3-3 artifact creature token. So many stats. Very reminiscent of Mask of the Jade Crafter. And despite the format feeling like pretty quick and needing to affect the board, that is well worth it. Agreed. And then also had Cinder Slash Ravager as another standout, which was incredibly good as well like that was one of the ones i didn't really know how to evaluate it's four red green for a five five vigilance when etbs it deals one damage to uh all creatures your opponents control and it costs one less to cast for each creature or permanent you control uh, that has oil on it so it's frequently two three four mana five five and there's so many x ones mm-hmm. that the, you know the toxic decks are being forced to run to try to enable corrupt um but yeah that card was very impressive and you can often, because I, I, I played this in the early access event too, I, I had it actually in in our showdown video that's going up on CFB this week, I had a, a deck that had two of those. And you just have these nutty kind of like turn six, play a three drop and play this for three mana that just feels like, wait, how much power and toughness did you just add to the board? You know? Yeah. Well, and heaven forbid, like you pick off two cards or yeah. you, know, you post combat, play it and pick off some stuff, you know, where your opponent blocked. But, you know, there's still one point of damage finishes it off. There's just a lot of ways to make good use of it. Nice. Well, sounds like you've found the lane for sure. The deck looked really strong. Yeah, I thought I had a chance to 3-0, but uh, ended up going down to Thrun and the the Tyranax, the 8-8 Haste Trample. Toxic four um, in round two of that draft. And then on draft two, uh, I went one one with a very good blue red oil deck. At least I thought it was very good on paper. I never really got to experience the high end. I just didn't get to play a lot of the rares. And again, I had a lot of insane rares. I had Blue Sun's Twilight again. I had Sword of Forge and Frontier, which is the pro red green mythic sword. I had another copy of Urbrass Forge in this <laughs> oh my draft. God. Uh, Vindictive Flame Stoker. That's the the one two again that lets you cash in your hand for four cards. I actually mispicked with Vindictive Flame Stoker. I had a really hard pick late in pack two. This was like pick six in pack two or something. A pack still had a Hex Gold Slash, the Flame Stoker, and an Icker Plate Golem. So Hex Gold Slash is the the red instant speed deal two or deal four to a toxic creature. And Icker Plate Golem is the the three mana two three that gives all your creatures with oil plus one plus one and they ETB with an extra oil counter. Yeah, that's so hard. Well, that's that's sort of a tease for one of the points later or one of the tensions that I found in the drafts on Thursday was like it's a high synergy format, but interacting is so important. And when you're faced with the decision of like strong synergy card versus strong way to interact, 
it's really tough, especially if it's like later on and you're still trying to cobble together your synergy stuff. It, it puts you in a tough spot a lot of the time. Yeah, I already had the synergy going. I should have just taken Hex Gold Slash there. Uh, okay. I, I got greedy. I think a second copy <laughs> of Hex Gold Slash would have been quite good in my deck, but it was, uh, I thought, a very good blue-red deck. I just never drew any of the rares hardly. I, I drew the Blue Suns Twilight and cast it once and I got countered by a Tyvar's Last Stand, which is the green combat trick that gives uh, Hexproof. Yeah, Hexproof Indestructible. Yeah. Pretty brutal. But yeah, I managed to finish 1-1 with that deck and finish 9-4 overall for a 21st place finish and my first ever caching of a Magic tournament. So was an awesome weekend all around, and I am stoked to be able to say I have cached a Magic tournament now. Awesome. Well, now that we are two professional Magic players, uh, we're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be back with our full thoughts about Firexia All We Won. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. When you're at your best, you can do great things, like coming back from a 1-2 start at a major limited tournament to rattle off five wins in a row and qualify for day two. Or being focused, positive, and present, even though your newborn is preventing you from getting more than three hour stretches of sleep at a time. We all have days where we're locked into life and feeling energetic and motivated right from the very beginning of the day, but that's not every day. Sometimes you're in a rut, and hitting the reset button on your mental state is harder than you'd like to admit. That's where therapy can be a huge help. Having an outside eye to bounce ideas off of, help hold you accountable, or problem solve with can prepare you to take on everything life throws at you. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com Lords today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Lords. And now... Back to the show. All right, Ben, I am particularly proud of my title selection for this episode. I feel like it, it's got a lot of layers going on. That's what I thought. Yeah. So reservation for one. I mean, as in reservation, we're going to talk about one, the format. You have some reservations about one. I have less reservations than you, I think. I mean, I'm enjoying the format right now, but I do. I see what you see. You cashed a, a, a long tournament. That's definitely going to put uh, a good taste in your mouth. Um, but you were you were also, even before the, the weekend, I was sort of saying, like, I'm not sure that I like this format that much. And I'm just to, to be clear, this is not going to be me talking. Like, that's not interesting. Me being like, this is bad or this is good, whatever. That's not interesting. We're still just going to come at you with here's like the thoughts about how to engage with the set. Yeah. And I think a sort of reservation as the format goes live tomorrow. So we're like, we're anticipating Wait, on arena on Tuesday, Tuesday, hot dang. I thought it was Thursday. No, everything shifted to like all the new stuff happens on Tuesdays on arena now. All right. Tuesday reservation for one. Let's go. Exactly. There you go. Okay. So let's talk about the rules of engagement, you know, you and I really haven't, you know, we've been messaging a little bit over Discord, but mostly you just, you know, giving me your tournament report updates as I was, uh, you know, railbirding you for the weekend. We haven't really even debriefed from the early access event that much. So I'm curious to get your thoughts. And, you know, I really, because you were away for the weekend, you know, took a stab at, at most of these show notes. So I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. So my, my big takeaways or broad strokes are, it is very much a macro synergy format, much more than micro synergy. I don't think 
you know, we were sort of speculating. And that's sort of what I want to do for this week is check in on the speculations we had last week before we really get our hands on the cards this week when, when it goes live on Arena. But I don't think you really want pockets of synergy or overlapping stuff, the sort of thoughts of, oh, are you going to have like, you know, some blue oil and some black toxic and glue them together with proliferate? I think that's generally a recipe for a bad plan. That at least was my experience on Thursday. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think where these show notes are, you know, we both typed in the show notes. If I didn't mess with your show notes, I basically agree with it. And I think this was something that Alex messaged me as well. He after just messaged me on Discord to say congrats and then said, if you had one way to sum up the format in one sentence, what would it be? And I said mine was that it was tough to identify the cards that are good in each archetype, but that I think the archetypes are generally the way they are advertised. Um, The archetypes are pretty important, but his sentence was, I I fired that back at him because I was curious. His sentence was almost this verbatim um, from our show notes was that, you know, he thought you really wanted to be focused and to not be dilly dallying around in multiple places. And I completely agree with that sentiment as well. Which is interesting because you said format, your, your next point is about format being similar to bro, but that feels pretty different to bro, right? In the sense of we had like basically some broad strokes of of maybe three buckets of different decks in bro. There aren't really, as far as I can tell, buckets of decks in this format. It's like blue, white is blah, white, black is blah, you know? Yeah, that's one of my bullet points here is that it's different from bro in the sense that all the archetypes are very distinct and that there aren't overarching themes to tie them together like there were in bro. That's the thing that stood out to me the most about this format is more than any that I can remember. I feel like wizards actually nailed the archetypes, not necessarily that they're all good, but that Mm -hmm. they all feel very distinct. And there are cards that very clearly go in each archetype. And I there are glue cards, but identifying the glue cards or the pivot cards or the flex cards, whatever you want to call them, is hard. And I think as we learn more about the format, it's going to feel less of what you're talking about where, you know, you have to kind of jump all in. But you definitely can get pulled in a lot of different directions. And when I've been pulled in different directions, I have not done very well. And when my decks have been focused and really dedicated to their archetype, I have done pretty well. Yeah. And that makes me think of another point, which is I have gotten into the most trouble when I think I have more time to figure out what that focused lane is, right? Like when I think, okay, I'm getting into blue. Do I want to do the artifact thing or do I want to do the spells matter thing with some oil? And then I realized, like this was after I sort of realized, okay, you don't want to do, you know, a mixture of these two. But then I was like, oh, I can decide this in the middle of pack two. Nope. You have to figure (laughs) that out much sooner, right? Like you don't have that time. And it leads to some feel bads for me at least, because I feel like you have to lock in a lot earlier for the high synergy stuff. And then you're kind of in a fingers crossed state of mind where it's like either fingers crossed, I'm going to hope that this comes together and it does, or fingers crossed, I have to hope this comes together and it doesn't and I feel bad. And neither of those are very rewarding experiences for me. And that's one of my reservations about the set. I hear that. And I have felt similarly about a lot of things like flashback to bro where I was like pretty down on it early and I'm trying really hard just for myself to not be so negative Nancy about stuff on stream. But along with that, I I would think I was really concerned about trying to peg whether formats are going to be good or bad or whatever. And so was Mm -hmm. trying to have those kinds of judgments about the format early on. And I just whatever it is, there's going to be ways to get edges, right? And so I think the more that we can identify 
identify like those flex cards, I think there are ways to delay the decision a little bit. I agree that the sooner you lock in, the better off your deck's going to be. But also, if you do find ways to delay it a little bit and read a certain archetype as open and you read it correctly, you get super rewarded because all the archetypes are so distinct, I think. I, I totally agree with that. And I think identifying that moment of pouncing on the archetype or on the high synergy thing you're doing is so important. You know, oftentimes that point of no return in drafts, I feel like is pack two, pick two, three, four, where you go, okay, this is my second color. This is the thing I'm doing. I think that point happens ideally earlier. It happens in pack one. And I think I, you can't really Bob after that. And so I think identifying that sort of, okay, I'm going after this thing. And sure, right, hopefully you've you've used that with more than just, okay, I opened this busted card or whatever, or started with this signpost on common and I'm going to push down that road. Ideally, you've picked up on some signals or you've allowed some flex cards to get you there. And I agree that's another good point of, you know, identifying what the flex cards are is really important to give you as much wiggle room as possible, you know? But yeah, I've definitely felt that moment of like, okay, this is what I'm doing. And I need to make sure that I'm like saying that out loud almost, because if I don't, my tendency to delay the decision will creep up. Yeah, no, I hear all that for sure. And then going back to the format being similar, bro, I just mean as a baseline for people that maybe haven't played at all, like maybe you couldn't make it out to a pre-release, similar to bro in that you need to get on board quickly to really avoid snowballs from your opponent or to try to snowball yourself because that's a great thing to do in the format. And there are a lot of good rares and you want to get underneath the rares. So if you don't have good rares or just being aggressive in general is a way to shorten the game or maybe lessen the impact of your opponent's rares. Or, you know, there's a lot of planeswalkers give you the board presence to combat the planeswalkers through damage or lessen their impact that way. So I just mean mean in that sense. And also that I think removal is absolutely bangers again like the second set in a row where i just feel like man removal is awesome and i want it and i have not felt that way in quite a while i I totally agree yeah i think removal is super important and again i do feel that tension with removal and synergy stuff and this is going to be a callback for you know some of our older listeners of of talking about akoria as our first like sort of framing synergy as a plus b right sort of column a column b A being payoffs, B being enablers, but this feels like that's the name of the game for a lot of decks, right? You want your toxic creatures or your ways to, you know, give your opponent poison counters and then corrupted payoffs, get them to that level three poison and then get those corrupted payoffs or the cards with oil counters and then cards that care about permanence having oil counters, figuring out which are the good A's and B's and perhaps, you know, bucketing in or or umbrellaing in, uh, figuring out the good flex cards has been tough so far for me. Yeah, that's been a real struggle for me too so far. And I think one of the more interesting things about the format, honestly, like it's obvious that this is a red green oil card, but is it a good red green oil card? Or is it better than this other red green oil card? That sort of thing. But I would push back a little bit about there being tension with the removal. I don't find that there's that much tension because I've just found controlling the board to be so important Mm -hmm. to everything like both your plan like if you're on board like things are going well for you but if you can also keep your opponent off the board things are going well for you so in a sense like removal still synergistic in that way because you're breaking up your opponent's mm-hmm. synergies because so many cards need cards to do their things like you're assembling the a plus b if you take out the a the b's 
much less effective. So removal is just very good in that sense. You've already helped me solve this problem for myself. There isn't tension in a general sense. There's tension in my own drafting sense <laughs> of like that when I'm drafting a high synergy archetype in a normal set, I often think, well, I'm do I just want to be doing my thing so hard that I don't need to interact that much. And so I will often ignore removal in favor of like assembling that engine to have the deck be greater than the sum of its parts. But I think that doesn't work in this set. And I think you're exactly right. And I need to stop thinking about it like, well, it's a toss up and just take the hex gold slash and be like, it's fine. I don't like, maybe I'm going to miss out on this oil enabler or whatever, but I need interaction above all else, really. Right. And where I found some success early actually is in trying to make sure my cards just do their things more often than not, yes. which is probably not a recipe for long-term success, but in the short term, while things are murky, like while we're still trying to figure out what the good A and B cards are, is just cards that do what they're going to do, plus the removal. And ideally, there's some synergy there too, but to not go all in on the synergy, because if you're when your opponent does have the removal and picks apart your synergies your deck really folds hard sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Well, and and you, you're you talking about, okay, it's a, it's a fast format. You want to affect the board. But if both players are engaging in the format in that way, you can also have games pretty quickly that stall out hard, right? If, if both of us are going like, okay, two drop, two drop. Oh, I don't want to really trade. Okay, three drop, three drop. I don't really want to trade. And now you're just like gumming up the board and it's hard to break through and the games can go long. I found that there, those are the two general ways that games play out is like either it's like basically over by turn seven or we're just like staring at each other on turn 14. Right. That was bro, right? That's what I mean yeah. in the sense that it was similar to bro because you have to follow the rules of engagement. But if you do... You get to the late game and then there's stuff that goes on in the late game for sure, too. So diving in on these A plus B synergies, what have you thought about Toxic? I have thought that Toxic is a really well-balanced mechanic. I have found that like damage or like winning with poison happens about at the same time. If you're doing it with attacking, happens about at the same time as damage does in a general sense, which I think is is good. Um, sometimes, you know, you stabilize at nine poison and then your opponent just hits you with the, you know, draw two, lose two, your opponent gets a poison counter or whatever um, in black. But oftentimes you can just sort of stabilize um, in that sense. And, and that, you know, those cards just play out like any sort of like burn that can go face. I have found that corrupted is the key name of the game, but that, you know, the sort of balance we were trying to discuss last week or, or guess about, hey, are you going to like, do you want to take the corrupted cards first? Do you take the good toxic enablers first? I have found it one hard to identify which are the which, right? Because there are some games where Pestilent Siphoner, the one in a black one, one flying toxic one, is absolutely insane. And then <laughs> there are other games where you have that and your opponent's like, cool, don't care. I'm racing you with my green beefy three threes and four fours. And you're like, oh no, like this now when I want to play defense with this card, I can't because it's so small and fragile and only does its one thing, you know? So I've definitely had that sort of, the thing you were talking about before of like, I want to make sure like the cards do their thing on their own. Pestle and Siphoner doesn't really do that because it's such a key synergy piece, you know? So I have found Toxic in general to be well-balanced, 
but that poison's not really the thing. Corrupted is the thing when I'm thinking about toxic. Yeah, what you're saying there makes sense to me. I personally have found some tension between corrupted and toxic, both in the draft of knowing when to pick which, but also uh-huh. in gameplay. Like corrupted has been great when my plan is to kill my opponent via toxic. But I've really struggled when I've been a mixture of toxic and non-toxic, uh-huh. like playing Pestilent Siphoner as enabler, like you're talking about, to turn on my corrupted cards. That's been rough for me. So like I've, I've been doing well when I've been all in toxic trying to poison my opponents out, but trying to go halfway has been less successful for me. I totally agree. I, I was watching one of your games in the early access event, I think, and you were, I think, Someone in chat was asking, you know, one of the big questions that people had if you engaged with the early access event was like, okay, how many games have been won by poison? You know, everyone wanted to know that. And I think you had the same experience and the answer of like, well, poison and damage happens around the same time. But the awkward thing is, you know, let's say you're on the draw even, but even if just your opponent mounts like is going toe to toe with you, but your whole plan is enable these corrupted cards, you can end up sacrificing quite a bit to like be pushing through because it's not really quite pushing through damage a lot of the time it's just like trying to push through the three poison counters to enable corrupted if that's your game plan and you are in a game where that's not quite successful or your opponent's like putting up a good fight or you're on the draw whatever that can really lead to you like look i know i i my deck cannot win if i can't get to corrupted or whatever my hand can't win if i can't get to corrupted but the state of the game dictates that I have to sacrifice too many resources to get there. And that puts you in a bad spot. Right. That's one of the overarching things that I found to be true about the format is that there's just so many cards that are situationally powerful. Rares, yes. commons, otherwise. Like when you're in the situation where they're good, they're great. But if you can't navigate your way to that type of situation, they really are not good, which I think is an interesting puzzle to try to solve. Yeah, you're you're getting me excited about that puzzle right now. And now I'm thinking like, okay, now it's like fun. Maybe it's even better to not identify like what the top commons are, but the what the top glue cards are. Maybe it's a huge glue card format and we have to identify all the the most flexible cards that that still don't have like, you know, high fail rates or whatever. Or you don't want to be playing super vanilla cards just because they go in multiple archetypes or whatever. But what are those like really key cards that shine in multiple archetypes? Yeah, and I think it's not obvious. And I I do think we're gonna have to play a lot. And I think once we play more, it'll become clearer. But at least for the moment, I've been trying to avoid the super high fail case cards or like taking them early aggressively, I guess like, I'm a little nervous about going hard on on the siphoner, the, the one one flying infect. I agree. I mean, I I sort of just put it as the second best black common currently, but I'm not sure I feel that way right now in this moment after having this discussion because how inflexible it is and sort of how all in it is. And maybe it needs to be bumped down to a much higher synergy thing. Like I kept, you know, when I would see it like eighth pick in the early access event draft, like heard two duck cubed in my head with the hashtag not correct or whatever, but maybe, (laughs) but maybe that is more correct. And I need to stop like, I need to alter my view of it and not jump on it and go, okay, cool. Seeing that eighth pick, that's a signal. Maybe not. Maybe I need to make sure I have more of the payoffs first before going after that. Or maybe that is actually where you should be seeing that card because of how fragile it is in the sense of uh, a non-streamlined game plan. Right. But I think there's a lot of that type of card in the format too, which is interesting. That is really interesting. Uh, Okay. So you asked me about toxic. What are your thoughts about oil? Ooh. 
Oil is really <laughs> good when it comes together. Yes. I, I think mediocre oil decks are not very good, but good oil decks are great. And I think one of the things that I've finally gotten straight in my head about oil is that cards that come in with oil on them that don't require anything else of you are much better than the cards that need things to happen for oil to get on them. Like, Interesting. Because there's cards that care about cards having oil on them also. So by the time that you get a card into play that needs you to cast a non-creature spell to get the oil on it, like you do that, then you cast the non-creature spell, and then you cast the thing that needs you to have stuff with oil on it. There's just so many windows for things to not come together yeah. from what your opponent is doing, either from a removal perspective from your opponent, or you just drawing things in the wrong order. Like maybe you didn't draw your spell to put the oil counter on the thing that triggers when there's a non-creature or whatever. That just the stuff that comes in with oil is critical or that can make its own oil. And you're going to play those other cards too because they're all very good. But if you're trying to have like a baseline oil deck that's not going to fail, the stuff that gets the oil up front is pretty key. That's a really excellent point. I hadn't thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense to me. I want to really like hone in on one thing you just said there, which is about drawing your stuff in the wrong order. And that is such a, a huge part of these high synergy decks, right? Like when you're drafting these A plus B decks, if you draw all the things that care about oil, but no oil counters, you're in trouble. If you draw all the corrupted cards without any of the ways to get poison counters on your opponent, you're in trouble. And I think that's going to highlight two things, probably drafting slash deck building issues, and also maybe even mulligan issues as well. Well, and that also goes back to removal, where I think there's not tension with the removal, because right. the best way I've found to turn on corrupted is to just have control of the board. And then like, if your toxic creature, like if you're winning or the board's clear, your toxic creatures get in and you don't have to make sacrifices that way. This is just such a hard, the idea that removal is good is such a hard <laughs> concept for like, I hear what you're saying, but I don't believe it. I'm pretty sure removal is excellent. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely right. Um, so we talked about similarities to bro. I wanted to make a couple similarities to streets of new Capenna and not because I have reservations about the format and I didn't like streets, but I do think there are, are two things that feel really real to me about this format and streets, which is one, the importance of two drops. You're talking about control of the board, affecting the board early, right? You have to be able to do that thanks to the presence of cheap toxic creatures enabling the corrupted payoffs early. And I think cheap oil things enabling the oil payoffs or whatever. And I think while there aren't the actual, you know, two color, two drops that there were in streets in this format, there are a lot of secret gold cards which are inflexible for pivoting later in the draft so if you're taking you know a rock solid to like a pestilent siphoner for example if you're taking that early that's locking you into a kind of black deck that is likely black white or black green but i think probably ideally black white so let's call it a black white gold card that's pretty inflexible if you end up in some other kind of color pair yeah i know i agree and i i agree that those are challenges but I, I want to go into the format looking at those things as puzzles to solve rather yeah, yeah, than, yeah. Than, than things that are going to make the format not good. But I hear you there 100%. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to, like I said, it's boring to listen to someone complain <laughs> about it. So if that's how that came off, that's not what I was doing. I was just saying like, these are like, that was a characteristic of streets. And yes. I think that's a characteristic of this format. And we have like... I think it was easy to spot that in streets with the two color two drops. But it's but not we, as obvious here. Yeah, it's not as obvious here because a lot of them are two color two drops in one color sheep's clothing, you know? 
Yes. And maybe only go in two of the color pairs or whatever. Right. Yeah. So not quite like half of a, a gold card or whatever. And I think second is is the inflexibility of the draft because of the sort of A plus B nature of a lot of the archetypes, the need for a functional curve. You can't delay the decision that long. We've talked about that and I just felt punished a lot for waffling or trying to wait to figure things out. And that was something I felt in streets like I wanted to ideally be locked in by like pick six and pack one, you know? Yeah, well, and I think those gold signposts are all quite good for the most part and are good ways to know, like if you're, you know, trying to lock in getting past those for me, at least so far, that has been most often the point where I found myself saying, "Okay, great, I'm locking in now. Yeah, Um, we spotted a lot of fixing last week, a lot of colorless fixing, a lot of green fixing. Splashing doesn't really feel like a thing to me, and that's probably probably an obvious statement now having said the point earlier of there is an archetype bleed right in theory you could have like a teamer a blue red green oil deck i just think you're getting into a mess if you do that i completely agree i think streamline two color is the way to go i felt so proud of myself <laughs> in our first draft on day two today i was in red green oil and pack two pick two or three i got past glissa the the one Ooh, black the green, black three, green three, yeah. death touch and i i literally already had an evolving wilds or whatever it is in this format and i was thinking like man i could take this and i thought no i'm not doing it like i have a i have a focus beat down deck i do not need this glissa and i do, do not need to stretch my mana to win games i'm going streamlined i was i, was, I felt very disciplined <laughs> nice good for you dude well i know i did not write this next point in the show notes. Yeah, I think it's important that we address the rare elephant in the room because I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter about content creators not liking the format like and people talking in the Discord about content creators on Twitter not liking the format or there's bomb rares or people complaining about the rares. And I I think I've been guilty of this in the past for sure. So by by all means, like I don't want to come off as holier than thou here. Ben's DMs are open. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are a ton of good rares. I also think they did a really good job of making lots of ways to interact with those rares at the common rarity for the most part. I mean, there there are some that are egregious, but I think in general that's true. And I also think the fact that they gave you possibilities to make very good streamlined aggressive decks also helped keep those rares in check. And I think best of one's probably going to have some feel bad moments. I did feel awesome playing best of three this weekend, and I felt like I had a lot of agency sideboarding against some of the very good rares. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that. And I agree. Like I, you know, I'm sure people are going to complain about the rares in this format. I will not be one of them. That's like. That's I think that's just the price of doing business in limited. And I think you've got to sort of get on board or, or you know, find something else. I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, let's get to some color rankings. And you have some notes here. You know, I preliminarily put uh, an order here of, of where I thought the colors were with white one, black two, green three, red four and blue five. The more I think about it, the more I really like your note about green here yeah so and again you're doing that to humor me because i'm more about (laughs) this than you are so please again at me with the color rankings and not ethan on twitter i i would change the order a little bit i would keep white one i guess although i personally feel like there's some tension in white and that white gets significantly worse the more people are competing for it Uh um so white one uh, red number two, because its commons are really deep 
and they all want to get the opponent dead. So they all work on the same axis in that sense. And I do think it is hard to find that in the format. Like there's a lot of things that pull you in different directions. And I think red as a color, regardless of what other colors you pair it with, wants to get the opponent dead for the most part, which is, I think, a boon in and of itself. And a lot of its commons, you're talking about it being deep, but it's deep in the sense of it's got a deep roster of flexible commons. I'm thinking about, so certainly like, you know, the removal spells, Volt Charge and, and uh, Hex Gold Slash are, are great in any red deck. But even the the Barbed Batter Fist, that 3-1 equipment, that, you know, in theory, oh, that's only good in red-white. Well, not really, because it's also a non-creature and it's also a good two-drop. Like, that's going everywhere. The five-mana 4-5 with two oil counters that can remove an oil counter to give something haste. Like, oh, that's only good in oil. Well, not really, because that's just like, a good hasty beater that can make other things hasty in your deck. You know, like it just has these things that sure they could be better, right? Is Barbara Batterfist going to be better or best in a red white deck? Absolutely. But it's going to be good everywhere. Right. Yeah, I, I completely agree with all that. So I think I'd have red number two for that reason. Black in number three. I, I don't feel strongly about black either way. I honestly Is red number one. Can we just call red number one right now? It wouldn't shock me if red were number one. Because the more I think about it, like, I have the same reservations about white as you do. Like, the white cards are very good in a specific kind of deck. Like, basically white, black, toxic, white, green, toxic, I guess. But, like, a lot of those cheap, toxic creatures get worse outside of those archetypes. And they get worse when you're in that archetype, but you're not in that, like, slam dunk, streamlined version of that archetype. Yes, I agree with all of that. That's what I've felt about white. That's why I said one with some reservations personally. So if you want to put red one, like by all means, I'm here for it. Well, because it's the same reason I want to put green last, which is what you have here. You said, I think I have this last because it suffers from getting pulled into very disparate directions without a lot of cards to hold the room together, right? It's got Vorak and then it's got the fight spell and then it falls off pretty hard after that. And I think it doesn't do a lot of things super well because I've been sort of thinking about, you know, the buckets of... The two main mechanics of toxic and oil, toxic existing in white, black, and green, and oil existing in blue, red, and green, green existing in both of those, I think is not a boon for that color because archetype bleed doesn't exist. So it's actually a knock against that color because it's being pulled in two different directions. And I think that does make it last in my mind. Yeah, so I I agree. I would have green last and I kind of want to make a case for blue three and black four, but what and it doesn't ultimately really matter because I think a lot of it is pretty close together like there's uh-huh. there's no color i think that's egregious i i do think i'd have green last but i also think more than any other format i can remember i do feel like the archetypes are very distinct and i think that's cool and interesting to try mm-hmm. to figure out like which cards go in which archetype because normally we're trying to put cards in like three buckets i, I do right. think there's close to 10 buckets to put the cards into here. And the buckets are not created equal, right? You have sort of a couple tiers here of basically decks you like and decks you don't like or don't understand yet is how you've labeled them. Yeah. So the the decks I do like, like tier one, like I'm very confident that they're very good and that I know how to draft them or what makes them tick, blue, white, and red, green. And then the other ones that I I like and understand how to draft and I think are good are red, white, black, white, and uh, blue, red, oil, aggro. I do want to shout out because I don't think we have another spot in the show to really talk about this. I think red, white is a really good deck. And I think 
Yeah, it's kind of funny. I think we were both right and both wrong about our predictions about the red white um, for Mirrodin deck, which is that like it's both a deck that does get bumped up by the inherent synergies, but it's also a deck where a lot of the cards just do the thing on their own, and that's why it's a good deck. Right. Yes, they're very good. Like there yeah. are a lot of the cards are very good intrinsically, and a lot of the cards have synergies. And but more than anything, what we've talked about getting pulled into different directions, red white doesn't suffer from that because you're trying to get the opponent dead. And what right. like whatever tools you're using to accomplish that, whether it's good red white aggro cards or it's some of the equipment synergies, all of it's getting the job done of trying to kill your opponent. Agree. So then on the the decks I don't like as much or don't quite understand yet. Blue-green, I have not liked anywhere near as much as red-green oil aggro. It feels like it's trying to do cute oil things, and I think the cute oil things aren't as strong. Blue-black is just kind of a mystery to me because it feels like, again, like there's two disparate things melding together there. Like you can't really do the artifact stuff. Like black doesn't support that that well. Blue-white's just a better version of that. I guess you could have some blue-black artifacts, but it also doesn't do toxic great. Mm -hmm. red black i just don't really know what's going on there yet i could see that being good like could see it just being another good red aggressive deck Mm -hmm. and then i've struggled like to to draft and pilot white green or green black actually green black i think is just a personal thing i do think if you do green black you're probably (laughs) just what did green black do to you (laughs) it didn't do anything to me i think you're i think that is you're trying to kill the opponent via toxic Right. It, that's it's all 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 of those decks are doing the white green is the same thing. It's a beatdown aggro deck that it also can win with toxic, but it's just a beatdown aggro deck. Yeah. So those are the ones I'm less comfortable or less familiar with. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I do think this idea of the, the three colors, white, black, and green existing under toxic and blue, red, and green existing under oil. And so that's three decks and three decks. And then there are four decks that cross between those two pools. Two of them I think are very successful in blue-white artifacts and red-white. And two of them I think are very unsuccessful in blue-black and red-black. Well, I don't want to I don't want to pull the closet shut yet on red-black. I want to do some more exploring there. Because if red really is good, mm-hmm. then red-black is likely to be pretty good. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm not going to close. I'm not going to close the closet, as you say, though. I've never heard that expression. Did I say close the closet. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that's about. Um, I'm going to close the door. <laughs> the closet door. It's got to be a closet. Okay. So <laughs> let's get into some surprises. I cannot believe this episode is going to be so long, but we just have so much to talk about. I'm going to talk about the surprises, and I have them mostly as individual cards. But the first thing we have to talk about is blue white artifacts. This this is the real breakout, I think, for me from the early access event. I had a really successful version of this deck. You had an even more incredibly successful version of this deck. It is real and spectacular. You want to talk about blue white artifacts real quick? Well, and all on the back of Eye of Malkator. It's two and a blue yes. for an artifact when ETBs you scry to, and whenever another artifact enters the battlefield under your control, it becomes a 4-4 artifact creature until end of turn, which sounds like, man, you got to do a lot of work, and it's only good on offense. It's really good on offense, and scrying to helps make sure you find artifact gas. So, like, we've seen Riddlesmith in the past, right? We've one in a blue. It's an enchantment, and when you cast an on creature spell, or maybe it's just when you cast an instant or sorcery, it becomes a 3-3 flyer until end of turn. And that has fallen hard in the past few years, in, the, in its past few reprints. And so this looks like that, but it is not. It's very good, and the fact that you get it at common means you have a payoff at common. And as we know from Bro, like identifying those few handful of payoff cards that you can get that ideally only one drafter wants is just so strong. And then the, the pick order for this deck is so nice because you can pick up, you know, 
good removal in these colors, the enchantment based removal in these colors early. And then you can wheel these sort of like derpy ish artifact creatures that in theory, no one else wants, but that your deck actually likes quite a bit. Right. Something like escaped experiment, the one in a blue two one, whenever it attacks target creature and opponent gets minus X minus O uh, until in a turn where X is the number of artifacts you control. The card is not great, but it is great in blue-white artifacts when you have a streamlined version of the deck. There's also Mandible Justicier. That's the one in a white 2-1 artifact creature with lifelink. And whenever another artifact enters the battlefield under your control, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Um, We're going to probably talk about this deck in detail soon, but just wanted to tease that. Like, Be on the lookout for this. Take Eye of Malkator highly. It's a really good payoff. This deck is great. I think you'll be able to get this deck early on and then it's as people get wise the eyes are going to be harder to come by <laughs> i think that's probably true next up we've got sinew dancer i have not been in love with this one what have you found here i have found that the payoffs for corrupted are harder to come by than the enablers so we should say what this is this is the single white one one uh, you can pay three and a white uh, tap it to tap a creature or if your opponent's corrupted it only costs a single white to tap that creature so i found that the payoffs to be harder to come by than the enablers like i definitely have had decks where i'm like cool i like drafted all these toxic creatures why do i care about this and this is kind of nice and sort of in the right decks doubles as payoff slash enabler right because you can oftentimes if you have to push through that you know as we talked about push through that last bit of toxic damage to get your opponent corrupted sure you're fine to invest that four mana once and then it's it's kind of a problem as a a one mana tapper i don't know I, i just put this here as like i had written this card off as being terrible and i do not think it's terrible yeah i think it's playable but you're probably still like hoping to wheel it or whatever for sure yeah i think so next up is bladed ambassadors this is one on white for a three one uncommon etbs with an oil counter you can pay one to remove an oil counter from it to give it indestructible until end of turn that having to pay one is a pretty big deal i mean this is still a good card you're always playing it it's just not quite as insane as it looks at first glance I agree. Yeah, I think I think the, the the fact that you only get this activation once, or I mean, I guess you can proliferate or whatever, but it's in a color where you don't get more oil counters, you don't proliferate. So, you know, you have to pair it with something else to get that. I, I just don't love it that much. Uh, next, we have Hex Gold Hover Wings. This is three and a white for an uncommon equipment. It has Formiridin, so it comes into play. You make a 2-2 token, you attach it. Equipped creature has flying, and then creatures you control that are equipped get plus one, plus oh, which is huge. So this is just a four mana, three, two, flyer but then it makes all your other equipped things if you have other four merit and stuff if you're playing you know another cheap equipment we'll be talking about a little later that's awesome and it's a quick cost is two and a white this card is just a house it's messed up it's another payoff for the equipment deck it's really strong in toxic decks it's one of those few flexible cards speaking of good cards porcelain zealot three and a white two three combat professor this is not but turns out even a pretty close combat professor is still really good uh, the beginning of combat on your turn, target creature control gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. If that creature has toxic, instead it gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Plus two, plus two for toxic is no joke. Turning your mites into three threes, you know, whatever, like turning your two, two that got blanked already into a four, four. I, I think this card is really good and a reason to draft toxic if you can. Yeah, card's been impressive. All right, we got to talk about this. This is this is another elephant in the room. This is bring the ending. One in a blue for an instant counter target spell unless its controller pays two. Corrupted, counter that spell instead if its controller has three or more poison counters. Ben, we were like, we, we tried to not get got. We got got by Scatter Ray and Bro. Thought it was going to be good. <laughs> it wasn't good. Last week we were like, is this Scatter Ray again? No, we're so sure it's not. <laughs> Am I crazy for not loving this card? I don't know. I have all of the same <laughs> questions that you have, which is that 
I found that it's difficult to pick it aggressively like early on in the packs and or have room for it in decks because it's not removal in that sense. And it's reactive in a format that rewards proactivity. Uh I mean, yes, you can counter some bombs, but like you have to do so much work to get your opponent corrupted. And by that, like if you don't get your opponent corrupted, I don't know. I, I think the card's playable, certainly but I don't think it is close to the best blue common. No, I think, I'm spoiler alert, it is out of the top three, fallen from number one to being out of the top three this week. Next up, we've got Tamio's Immobilizer, three and a blue for an artifact. It ETBs with four oil counters on it. You can tap it to remove an oil counter and tap target artifact or creature. This is just Icy Manipulator. It's free. Icy Manipulator costs one to activate. Just this is free than Icy, Icy Manipulator. Like, have you ever seen this run out of counters? I have not, nor have I run out of counters when I've had it. <laughs> Either the game is over before it runs out of counters, or they add oil, or they proliferate, and I say they because it's only been played against me. This card is phenomenal. Yes. Well, and it's also cool in that it's an artifact for the blue-white deck where you get Correct. removal that's also synergistic. Mm-hmm. It's a non-creature spell. Like mm-hmm. It just does so many things. It's a flex card, yeah, for sure. A card that I am not excited about, I'm curious if you are, is Chittering Skitterling. Two and a black, one four, and it has corrupted sack and artifact or creature draw card only if an opponent has three or more poison and only once each turn. No, card's garbage. It is, right? This card should be great. It's a free sack outlet that draws you cards, but what do I? when do I ever want to remove creatures from my side of the board? Well, and also, like, just... Doing all the work that you need to do to get your opponent corrupted for this is the payoff is just not worth it. I I honestly think one of the only cards that I'm really excited to maybe be trying to corrupt my opponent for and not be trying to kill them with actual poison would be uh, the exile removal spell. Like turning that into exile anything for two mana instead of just exile three or less is a big game. But that's one of the only ones, I think. Yeah. So it sounds like you're kind of off on toxic and corrupted i am certainly at the moment just because i'm not doing well with it because of all these things like i just keep getting pulled in so many different directions and if you don't get your opponent corrupted your deck doesn't do a ton like i think there are reasons to do it and i think i have some clear cards in my mind about when and why i want to do it but like Chittering Skitterling is not even close to the list. Yeah, for sure. That's where I'm at, too. All right, a couple of surprises here, but they're really surprises for me, not for Ben. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Surprise for Ethan that Churning Reservoir is awesome. Single red artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, put an oil counter on another target non-token artifact or creature you control, and you can pay two tap to make a 1-1 red Phyrexian Goblin creature token only if an oil counter was removed from a permanent you control this turn or a permanent with an oil counter was put into a graveyard this turn. Just super awesome. Great payoff for oil. Exactly what you said. Like, go listen to what Ben said about this card last week, and all of those things are correct. Yeah. Uh, Also, Magmatic Sprinter. Everything I said about this, yes? Yep, I agree. Yeah, this is the the 3-2 with haste. Comes into play, put two oil counters on something, and then you have to return it to your hand unless you remove two oil counters from it. Uh, Like, will I ever want to sign up for a card that has me invest mana in affecting the board only to not affect the board later in the game or, you know, on a future turn or later that turn? No, not at all. Every time my opponents cast this to put oil on something and then put it back in their hand, I just felt like I was getting away with something dirty. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I, I totally agree. I, I have not seen it in play yet, actually. Just every time I see it in the draft, I'm just like immediately like, oh, absolutely not. I, I can't imagine wanting that in my deck. Next up, Furnace Strider, four in a red, four five ETBs with two oil counters on it. Can remove an oil counter from it to give target creature haste, which includes itself. And then, so you play this a five mana, four five haste, and then there's still an oil counter to give your next threat haste. This card is such a beating. Yeah, card's awesome. We talked about Incubation Sack. It's very good. The single green artifact comes into play with three oil counters. You can pay three in a green, tap it, remove an oil counter, make a three three golem token. Card's very, very good. I mean, again, if you, especially if you have the board stabilized or whatever, I mean, or if you're about to stabilize, this helps you do that. And then this just runs away with the game. Yeah, some decks just fold to Incubation Sack. Agreed. Next up, we've got Plague Nurse. This has not been great. No. This is three and a green for a three, four with toxic two, and you can pay two and a green to give each other creature you control with toxic another instant of toxic one until end of turn. Yeah, this looks like it's an anthem. It looks like it can push damage, you know, but it can't. All it does is enable attacks. It can't. It doesn't enable attacks. All it does is makes attacks you already have better. It, yeah, it's, this card is not good. And if you have attacks as a toxic deck, the game's over. You're winning. Like right, you're playing. winning. You don't need this. Right. Yeah, no, this card's not good. Is this next card good? Tyrannic's Atrocity, 3 green green, 4-4 four, four, haste, toxic 3 at common. I can't decide. The, the jury's still out on this card for me because like it is a big surprise and less because of the toxic 3 and more just like as a 5-mana 4-4 four, four, haste, honestly. Like, toxic 3 does matter sometimes, but I, I don't know. I, I can't can't put my finger on this card just yet. I'm with you. It's hard. I think it's another one of those cards that's situationally great. I think ultimately it is not a good Magic the Gathering card, but I think it is situationally very good. And there are a lot of cards like that in this format. That's fair. Next up is Prosthetic Injector. This has been very impressive. One mana for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus O plus two and has toxic one and has an equip cost of one. This card is phenomenal. Any toxic deck, black, white, black, green, white, green wants any number of these. It's really good. Very strong. Uh, next up, we have Surgical Spellbomb. What, what was the what, Talarian Geyser? Is that you? Single mana artifact. <laughs> pay one, sack it, draw a card or pay two in a blue, sack it, return target creature to its owner's hand, draw a card, activate only as a sorcery. Yeah, this is by far the best skull bomb. And I think this is pretty insane. This is a, a glue card for all of the blue decks. I think this is the best blue common if you're allowed to call it the best blue common. And once you start mm -hmm. looking at this as the best blue common, I think blue starts to look way more appealing as a color. But we're really only excited about two blue decks at the moment, right? We're excited about this in blue white artifacts and in blue red. And we're not very excited about blue green and maybe still trying to figure out blue black. Is that fair? That's fair. But I think okay. prior to that, I was not excited about any blue decks. So, <laughs> I mean, that's progress, yeah. right? That's progress for sure. Next up is Vraska's Fall. This is not a great Magic the Gathering card, but if you're playing best of three, I do think this is one to watch out for. A two and a black for an instant. Each opponent sacrifices a creature of Planeswalker and gets a poison counter. I cited this in a boatload against Planeswalkers over the weekend uh, in Sealed, and it was 
very good for me. Also, just some decks that weren't like pooping out tokens or whatever. Like, I think it's just a card to keep an eye on if you're playing best of three. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, we're going to have an arena open in a month. I think the, the first weekend in March is an arena open for this format. So people are going to be playing sealed. Um, then they're going to want that tech. Uh, next up, we have Axiom Engraver. One on the red for a 1-3. Enters the battlefield with two oil counters on it. Tap, remove an oil counter from Axiom Engraver. Discard a card. Draw a card. I you put this card on this list. I know you played with it today in your draft deck. I, I totally agree. So I had a rule for myself. I didn't let myself get past five games with any deck in the early access event because I just like wanted to draft as much as possible. The only deck I five owed with was a deck that I thought looked derpy as heck. That was just like <laughs> red green oil beats and playing this. This card was big over performer. Just like it blo- like one three. We haven't talked about this yet. 1-3 is like casually a really good stat line for two mana in this format because it not only can like trade with whatever the 3-1 toxic stuff, but bouncing off of being able to block the 2-2 that attacks with first strike on your turn in white is big game too. Yeah, it forces your opponent to use their combat tricks if they have yeah. them. But in particular, this card has been nut or butters. I think just red green oil period but this checks all the boxes of oil right it yes. comes with oil on it already which i think mm-hmm. is big game and it also as a, a free rummager helps solve the problem of drawing your cards in the wrong order or things Ooh. just being a little off like it does everything you want to do in red oil decks yeah i i totally agree Rustfine cultivator is another one that just does enough it's not a great card but i think it's good in the oil decks like it can put oil on itself it helps you ramp I think it's not not exciting, but certainly a role player in those oil decks. Mm-hmm. I think the cycle of sack lands, the spheres that come into play tapped, tap for a color of mana, or you can pay one and that color tap sack it to draw a card. They're, they're pretty underwhelming. Like, it's I don't know, it's like kind of, it's fine you to have one or two of them in your deck. You're never going out of your way to pick them. I think we felt this way the last time there were value lands around, that the days of eking out card advantage to win games are gone. And especially in this format, at least so far, I think, it's really just about board presence people. It's about getting on board early, interacting early. It's just not about like, ooh, I get an extra card out of my lands later, right? Similar to how we felt about you weren't you were picking the tap lands in Streets of New Capenna because they were fixing. You weren't picking them because, ooh, later on I'll get to cash this dual land in for a card, you know? Yep, for sure. Next up is Atmosphere Surgeon. This is one in a blue for two one. Uh, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put an oil counter on it, remove an oil counter from it to give target creature flying until end of turn. Activate only as a sorcery. This looks like it should be good again, but it's just been very underwhelming for me. And this is that that category of cards where there's I think there's just a big split between cards that start with oil on them and cards that need something else to happen to get oil. And again, there's another class of cards that like need something to happen to get oil on them that are very good. Like those are worth it. But just a minor effect like this, like, for example, I would have had the looter, the Axiom Engraver or the Rummager rather way lower than Atmosphere Surgeon in my pick order. And I just think Axiom Engraver is a much better card than Atmosphere Surgeon now. Totally agree. We have a couple cards here around the list. Cinder slash Ravager, the red green signpost. We talked about that. The five five Vigi deals one to each of your opponent's cards and Necrogen Rot Priest, the two black green for a one five with toxic two. I think it says that each of your creatures with toxic when they deal 
damage deal an additional toxic damage, and you can pay one black green to give a creature with toxic you control death touch until end of turn. Card is just really tough to interact with in the right deck. Yeah, that's a house. I mean, if you want to know why or when to play black green toxic, Necrogen Rot Priest is one of the best reasons to be black green. So let's hash out perhaps just the differences of things that have shifted from our top individual top common rankings last week to where we're at trying to get on the same page this week. Is that, is that a good way to wrap things up here? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So we still have planar disruption number one in white. That's the aura removal spell. Neither of us, I believe, had this in our top commons. Incisor Glider is now number two. It's one in a white for a one three artifact creature with flying, and it has corrupted... When it attacks, if an opponent has three or more poison counters, creature you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. So in the right toxic deck, right? This is one of the best corrupted payoffs that exists. Is that fair to say? Yes. And there's only one incisor glider, and there's a lot of ways in white to get your opponent corrupted. And then I will say a slight check mark for this card is that it is an artifact. And so while it does it does not shine, and it is quite filler in blue-white artifacts. That type does matter, right? You just want critical mass of artifacts in those decks that have whatever, four Eye of Malkators or whatever, that this does get that bump there. And also whatever, then it can, maybe it wears some equipment well in red-white. I, I don't know yet. But I think I think it being such a huge payoff for one specific kind of white deck, and then also having a spot in other white decks makes it a premium common. Yep, I completely agree. And then I just, I, I agree with your point here. I don't really have strong feelings after one and two. And I think it does kind of drop off a little bit in terms of flexibility. Yeah. So we tentatively got Duelist of Deep Faith at number three. That's the one in a white uh, two, two that has first strike when it's on your turn. But again, it gets very context dependent after those first two, I think. All right. Talk to me about blue. Blue, number one, Surgical Spell Bomb. That's the uh, artifact that can cantrip or pay two and a blue at sorcery speed to bounce something, draw a card. That is awesome. I think it's a, a glue piece for a lot of blue decks. I have Malkator in the number two slot. That's the tuna blue that turns into a four, four when you cast an artifact, lets you scry two. And then number three, I would personally have mesmerizing dose. Uh, That's the one with blue enchantment removal uh, that keeps something tapped down. And when ETBs, you proliferate. I just have found interacting to be premium and the, the proliferate is a nice incidental bonus. Yeah, I'm in for that for sure. Yeah. And so I think notable to say that bring the ending is out. Um, I thought about Iker synthesizer, the, the one, three that, once it gets four oil counters, it gets plus two, plus oh, and is unblockable. That's out as well. It just takes so long for that to happen. I've played with Icarus Synthesizer a bunch this weekend, and it just has not quite done the thing. And what are your thoughts uh, about the other card that's like that, but I think is better, uh, Sawblade Scamp. That's the single red 1-1 one, one with haste. It gets an oil counter the same way whenever you cast a non-creature spell, and you can tap it to deal a damage to your opponent. Scamp's the real deal, but yeah. you have to be very aggressive. Like you have to be red, green, beat down oil or blue, red, beat down oil. But if you're those decks, it's well worth it. Is it Goblin Blast Runner levels of like, you know, clock it, pack one, pick one, see it, pack one, pick five, take it, the first one wheels, and you're just like, this is what I'm doing? No. I think the the oil decks are more than that, but it's a nice player in those oil decks. Okay. Looking at black, we still have Anoint with Affliction number one. That's the one in a black exile, a creature with mana value three or less. If your opponent's corrupted, it just exiles any creature. Beyond that, I, now I kind of want to do some audibling here, right? We have Pestilence Siphoner. 
Number two, the one one flyer with toxic one and blight belly rat number three. That's the two mana two two toxic one. When it dies, you proliferate. Do we at least want to swap those? Because like rat goes in more decks. I just don't have strong feelings after anoint. Siphoner is really good. I just think you can get yourself in spots where it's really poor. Yeah. Also, I I think Siphoner is like a poster child for why the format is difficult. (laughs) I think that's a really good point. So we'll keep it up in the top three for now, just so we can talk about it. All right. What's going on with red? Uh, Volcharge number one. I don't know. It's super close. So Volcharge is the tuna red deal three proliferate. I am not. I'm dead serious. Hex gold slash like 1.1. Like it's not number two. It's 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 number 1.1. It's like right there on the heels. And I think it might overtake it. Uh, Single red for the deal two and deal four of creature as toxic. The one mana is just huge in the format. Yeah. Okay. And then Barb Batterfist number three. It's really close with Furnished Rider. So Barb Batterfist is the uh, equipment that comes into play as a 3-1 and then gives a creature plus one, minus one uh, with an equip cost of one. Furnished Rider is that 4-5 oil haster. Uh, Furnished Rider is definitely more powerful. It's tough to yes. pick fives over twos. I, I do think I would take the first copy of Furnished Rider over Barb Batterfist because I would want to lock up at least one furnace strider but it's it's very close yeah that's fair and then looking at green i think it's another case like white where like feel very good about the first two and then don't care after that contagious vorak still clear number one one of the best commons in the set that's two and a green for a three three etbs look at the top four uh pick a land from among them put it into your hand rest on the bottom in a random order if you don't you proliferate and Ruthless Predation is number two. That's the one on a green. Plus one, plus two to a creature you control. Then it fights target creature you don't control. And then past that, I, I just think it's it's context, baby. And honestly, probably context in the sense of like, it's it's getting pulled in different directions. What is green's best deck is probably green, red. I think it's green, red oil. Yeah. Yeah. So then if it's green, red oil, like Predation Steward, that's the two drop that comes into play with two oil counters and can pump something by removing an oil counter and paying two in a green. That's not that good, right? It's not that good. I think maybe Rust Fine Cultivator. But again, like Ooh, there's okay. not much to get excited about in green. And I, mm-hmm. I do think it's it's worth noting for red, like we're excited about four cards. There are other red cards I really yeah. like as well. And like these other colors were like, well... We care about one a lot. We care about one and two a lot. I, uh-huh. I, I'm liking red. Yeah, okay. I, I I like this. So let's just real quick as we wrap up, remind ourselves what our official, we called it, color power rankings is. <laughs> so we can say I told you so to exactly. the limited community. All right. So, so, so red's one, green is five. Red one, green five. I think I would personally go white two. I want to, as a hot take, go blue three and black four. But it's probably it's probably black three, blue four. I don't know. Okay, so let's tell. I like let's let's go hot take. It's, it's you know it's almost midnight here. Let's get spicy. <laughs> so red one, white two, blue three, black four, green five. Yeah, I, I do feel pretty good about green five, which is awkward because Contagious Vorak is so, so good. Good, I agree. Yes, this real tension here of like. It's got that like jewel thief thing going on. This it's just streets of New Capenna again. That's what I think. It's just like <laughs> jewel thief is nuts, but green's not that good because like you never want to be green red, you know. Like and that's talking about streets. You want to be green red in this format. Um, well, you've successfully got me excited about th- this upcoming week. I was like ready to be like, ugh. Well, I'm glad I have my <laughs> my newborn <laughs> son here. Out. <laughs> I'm glad I got Jonah to focus on because I don't really want to be playing that much magic. But I agree, like. 
I'm, I know I'm going to be playing magic because I'm a sicko, but I also like the framing of the puzzles. And I think that's, it gives us some good fodder and a good idea of where we want to go in the coming weeks of like, let's figure out what those good flex cards are. Let's figure out what the like, the archetypes like really want to look like, you know, I think, I think we've got some good work cut out for us in the coming weeks. Well, yeah. And I think even once you figure out what the archetypes really want to look like, which is, I think, tough to see still from now. And granted, we've played not a ton, but we've played a significant amount, like for how long the format's been out. I did like 12 drafts on Thursday. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) What a guy. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's that. But then there's also the way to figure out like how to leave yourself more open longer in the drafts and still have successful versions of those archetypes. So yeah, I think there's tons of stuff to figure out. So I'm looking forward to it for sure. And as we wrap up, congratulations to you, buddy. Again, on 21st place. How sick is that? So good. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm still grinning from ear to ear and I will be thinking about it when I wake up tomorrow morning and probably for quite some time uh, after this. It just feels good. And I know it's like a minor accomplishment in the grand scheme of like magic and the pro tour or whatever, but like you're just trying to level up and that's a box I haven't checked. So it feels feels very good to check that box. No, don't uh, stop, stop undercutting it. It's an awesome achievement. You should feel really proud. I do. I do for sure. All right. On that note, we will wrap things up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to TCG Player for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all purchases or signing up for a TCG Player subscription to read the content that me, Ben, Alex, all the pros at TCG Player are writing. <laughs> Please navigate your way over there via our affiliate link at lordsoflimited.com slash TCG Player. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. figuring out the good flex cards has been tough so far for me. Yeah, for me as well. That's actually yeah. my point in the show. Now. Do you actually think it's tough? <laughs> oh, no, I, th- I I didn't remember writing that, but I was like, I do agree with that. <laughs> you, just, you just read it like it was <laughs> your own. I love it. So funny. Yeah, I know that's so funny. I was reading. It. I was like, did I write? That? Seems like <laughs> something I would write.